Previously on Crash and Fourier. Here comes the little guy with the attitude. He thinks he knows. Why is it going to be the little guy? Why can't oh, it just be a guy with an attitude? Huh? I don't know. You know, I'm staring Says the guy me. who, oh, he's pretty, so he's likable. Thank God I married up when I had something that was worth it. Not anymore. Magazine cover boy. Dude, I've had, I'm going on my second hair transplant, okay? I'm on a diet for the last three months, please. This is Gresh and Fourier. I always had a question about, like, when we shoot a lot of threes and miss, everybody asks me questions, but when we shoot a lot of layups and miss, nobody says anything. How many layups we missed today? Like, I don't understand that. Like, just because you're close to the basket doesn't mean it's easier to score. Oh, he's going 100 oh, oh. He's going all bunnies. You can't go all bunnies. Oh, and he missed the bunny. Oh, he missed the layup. Nobody's covering him either. Andy Gresh. Marcus Jones is in on offense for the New England Patriots, setting up in the slot left. They're going to toss it to him. Jones to Jones. Throws it upfield. And Jones down the sideline. He could go. Jones all the way. I'm always a defensive back. That's that's the first thing. But like I said before, anywhere, you know, that's needed for the team, I'm definitely down for it. But I'm a defensive back first. Christian Fourier. I think that what Josh wants to do is Josh feels like, and maybe he's right, maybe he's wrong, time will tell. He feels like he can guess right most of the time from the sideline, which is almost impossible to do. I think for Josh, he's going to get a guy that he can... Not control, but tell where to throw the ball. But all I need is a jugs machine. That's yeah, what he yeah. thinks, right? You give me a guy that can just shoot rockets <clears> and <throat> run it a little bit, I'll point the rocket launcher in the right direction. Gresh and Fourier right now. I'll just get wet and I'll spend 30 bucks. On W-E-E-I. Rocket launch that clock, 10.09. Gresh and Fourier <laughs> here with you. On Boston and New England Sports Original, WEEI, and Lord knows, let's jump right into it, Fourier. The Celtics. Please, let's do it. Beat Portland 115 93 last night. So I guess all is right in the Mm. world once again. It's all it took. It's all all it took. As soon as I was was like, well, there you go. That's how you do it. That a boy. I feel like when I was talking to my dog, when I was teaching my dog how how to go to the bathroom in the woods, that I would like, Reward my dog with like a treat and it over over praise it. There you go. Good. There you, that's the way you do it. It's Good. Like, Here it's you like, go. It's like what you do with kids. You yeah, know, the first steps thing. they take. You're like, oh, oh my god. They, look how easy. Hey, you just put one foot in front of the other. Right. Look at that. Good and, job. And then a year later, you're like, go sit down. Yeah. Shut because up. they're roaming around all over the place yeah, and grabbing everything off your coffee table. Well, in all seriousness, there was very little for the Celtics to worry about last night. They came out and had a very big third quarter, about a 20-point lead heading into the fourth, and then really both coaches, I don't want to say they sort of waved the white flags, but early heading into the fourth quarter, both coaches made the decision to rest their respective superstars. But look, Jason Tatum scored 30 points and yep. didn't even play in the fourth quarter. Yep. The third quarter was dominant. They got great performances from Blake Griffin and Derek White and Al Horford and Tatum after the game with Abby Chin on NBC Sports Boston and talked about how important last night was. You know, we were in a situation where we was up 15 or so in the second, and we kept that lead, right? You know, we haven't done that lately. Um, and even in the third quarter, starting off well, pushing the lead out, and not letting them back in the game. You know, something we struggled with, obviously, the last couple games. And uh, we're about to go on a long road trip, so we're going to come, come here, get a good win before we uh, go on the road. Everybody, it seemed like, Fourier, listened to Malcolm Brogdon. And I thought uh, yesterday we gave Brogdon his uh, flowers for showing some veteran leadership. And clearly from the jump last night, this team looked different than they had in the prior three games. Would you call this a slump buster? 
Uh, I feel like we all need one of those. I don't know if this was really a slump, though, because I, I get it. It was the whole you had fourth quarter leads and then you blew yeah. them. Uh, but you had those leads. It's not like you played completely terrible. One game you didn't have Tatum. One game you didn't have Brown. I don't know. If this team was at full strength, I would be like, okay, they're slumping. But, well, you know, I know it was a dudes color, are in and out a, of the lineup. I know, but and, it was it was about as much criticism, I think, that this team has had all year. They hit a pothole. Oh, fine, That's how it looked fine. At. That's okay. fine. Okay, so. They needed last night, though. They and, and, I absolutely think they did. And, and you heard it to a man. You heard it from Tatum after the game. You heard it from Al Horford. Brogdon the day before. Before we get on the plane and go on this road trip, we need a win. We need that positive reinforcement. No, I, I think they did. I, I am. Uh, it's just even if it's fake, even if you, you know, can trick yourself as to what this game really means. You know, to be honest with you, I was just really kind of interested to watch. Uh, you know, Damian Lillard. That's really all I really wanted to do. You mean I didn't, from the Portland. Yeah, from the Portland, and just because I didn't think they were. I really felt like they were going to win this game easily, and they did. In the fourth quarter, it was it was just like I almost thought they were going to have a running clock because nobody wanted to play. It was it was like it felt like it really felt like all star basketball last you know five minutes because it was just like throwing up shots. Nobody cares if they turned game it over. Seventy four on a Sunday. Yeah, afternoon. you know they felt like they need and we're we're hopping on a plane and, and this is what it really matters. This road trip I think is so important because they need to go on a winning streak. All these other teams in the East that are like starting to kind of. You know, define themselves at this point in time of the year. Have gone on these winning streaks. They need to come back six and zero. I think at this, and then when they actually come back, it'll be a seven games, uh, seven games in a row. I think they win every single game. Wow! So they come back and they play the the trail, but uh, sorry, the Pacers on the on that Friday. Because I'll tell you what, a six and zero road trip, even against teams that you're better than, is very difficult. Given that I I saw the graphic, I think on NBC Sports uh, Boston last night, where before they fly home. So before the trip from Sacramento back to Boston, which makes it an 8,300-mile trip or something like that, just traveling from Boston to all the different cities, you're talking about 5,500 miles or something like that over the course of, I think, like a 10-day period. So definitely, excuse me, not easy for the Celtics. Uh, Grant Williams did not play in the first half. Uh, He said some interesting stuff to the uh, Boston Herald, which we will get to. Joe Mazzula with an interesting quote in last night's press conference as well. But the Bruins are also in action tonight. They're going to take on Edmonton at the Garden. Now, before everybody loses their mind, this is an ESPN Plus game tonight. So just know you might have to go uh, on the hunt to find tonight's Bruins game against Edmonton. Our Scott McLaughlin right now, WEEI.com, has a story up on the Bruins' power play, just 10.2% in the last 15 games. Good point by McLaughlin. And, uh, you know, he mentions maybe uh, Orloff up on that uh, top or uh, top power play group. Lots of options for Jim Montgomery. We will talk everything hockey with our buddy Andrew Raycroft at 11 o'clock. Betting, betting, betting. We know that Christian Fourier is now a master of the bets. Mm. Just ask him. Uh, But the Massachusetts Gaming Commission might have to consider adding another sport slash event to the betting menu at 11.25. Big deal, no big deal. A lunchtime parlay at 11.45. Foye and I will go through the now 17 free agents of the New England Patriots. And, of course, you at 617-779-7937. 
Boston's Crash and Fourier on WEEI. Get Boston Sports Original on the go wherever you go. Just download the Odyssey app. So as we mentioned, the Celtics get the win over Portland 115-93. to All is right in the world yeah. again, at least in the uh, world of the Celtics. They now head out for a massively long six-game road trip, uh, longest of the season for the Celtics to have to deal with. And, Foyer, one of the things that you and I have talked about with Joe Missoula is just sort of his way, whether it is not calling timeouts in the end of games and allowing guys to play it out, whether it is some of his odd answers to questions in press conferences. Short answers or dismissive there, answers or there's there's a way there's about a lot him. of that isn't yeah, there yeah there's a there is definitely a way about him and I, I i don't know how many people caught this after last night's game because i think a lot of folks it was like up oh, fourth quarter no tatum no brown they're up 20 see you later let me go to bed and grab an extra half hour of sleep and i don't know how many people actually saw this but after the game joe Missoula was asked about the three-point shooting, and it comes up all the time. Tell me what you make of this response from Missoula when asked about the three-point shooting. What's kind of the key for you guys in getting those shots? Like, what has to go right for that time? I always had a question about, like, when we shoot a lot of threes and miss, everybody asks me questions, but when we shoot a lot of layups and miss, nobody says anything. How many layups we missed today? Like, I don't understand that. Like, just because you're close to the basket doesn't mean it's easier to score. And so, like, we missed a lot of layups, and... You know, we have to do a good job making those. And so I thought our shot profile was really good. I thought on that stretch where we didn't shoot the ball well, we, we continued to guard. And I thought when we missed layups, we did a decent job of sprinting back in transition. Um, but I've always wondered that. Like, no one asks, like, that's 10 layups tonight. How come? I'll ask you right now. What, why are you missing layups? I don't know. That's what I want to find out. <laughs> okay, so, okay, i got to dissect this for you. What do you just? What do you make of it? Okay, I, I, here's my initial response to it. Yeah, uh, it's a, it's a, uh, a, it's like a hardo. I'm smarter than you. Coaching move that I don't like. Just because you're closer to the basket doesn't mean it's easier to score. That wasn't well, the question. That, that wasn't. Well, I know it's important. I know why is everybody focused on three pointers? If you really knew the game, if you were smart and watching and paying attention, you would obviously see that missing the little bunnies is just as detrimental to us losing as missing three pointers. That's what I take out of it. Well, shots for a cure p- proved that whether you're far away <laughs> or close to the basket, it's still difficult to score. Yeah, well, what you tell me? What did you take out of it? Because it does I, seem I a think, little condescending to me. I think he is trying to get people off of the fact that they have at times been an inconsistent three-point shooting team. And maybe this is his odd way, first year as head coach, Never really had a ton of experience in speaking to the media all the time, which is what Joe Mazzulla does now. But there's the part of me that wonders if he's kind of getting sick about being asked about all the three-pointers all the time because even last year, they're kind of an up-and-down three-point team. Sometimes they're all over it. See Grant Williams game seven against Milwaukee where that guy's draining threes. 
And then there are times where they miss a bunch, and then it becomes, well, it's got to be your fault, isn't it, Coach? Well, but isn't it? Um, isn't he the same guy that talked about like we need to shoot more threes, and like the true number is like how many threes you shoot, and you gotta you gotta have a a, a high volume of three pointers. And the, the real isn't answer, that the same guy? Well, yeah, it is. But the real answer on it is it really depends matchup to matchup. That's why. Brad Stevens has built this team the way he has, where it is layered in terms of your depth. Look at last, a big part of last night's game, I thought, was Al Horford's ability to get bigs out of the paint, for him to be a factor outside and knocking down threes and knocking down outside shots, and it just opened up everything else. I think it is also based on the construct of the team that you're going against. If you have a team that is really good, you know, perimeter defenders, then I don't want you taking bad threes. Then make the extra pass and drive the ball to the hole. I don't think there is a one-size-fits-all sort of answer for this Celtics team offensively, you have to take into account who they're playing. See, okay, so to me, this is turns into a, you know, personality issue with Missoula and how he's received from the public. Texter just said he's thin-skinned. Do you think well, Missoula is thin-skinned or just awkward think, talking to the media? I, I, you know, to be honest with you, I'm not really sure because we, sometimes we all still don't know enough about the guy. I, I like what he says. And then I'm like, and then I was sitting there today and I was like, um, like listening to the sound and going. Wait a second. So if we're going to rip, uh, you know, Mac Jones for saying, hey, you haven't earned the right to, to show your emotions and, and, and get frustrated. You have to win something. And we look at Bill. and He does whatever the hell he wants to do because mm-hmm. he's won forever. And, and, and he's usually always right. But here comes Joe Mazzula with his defensive, passive, aggressive, condescending mannerisms. So I heard Wiggy today said that he was an acquired taste. I, was, I don't know. Like, I don't know. To me. I just don't think he's 34 years old. He hasn't accomplished anything yet. And he's, it feels like he's got this massive attitude toward reporters. Like a massive attitude. Fat sacked in the Twitch chat. Good morning to the Twitchers. Twitch.tv slash Boston W-E-E-I said, was that Matt Patricia? Was that a Matt? I don't think it rises to the level of the Matt Patricia. No. Like it's Matt Patricia was it, just defensive. I well, think so was he. Well, this is. What this, do you, wait, if I have you? If I ask you a question, yeah, an honest yeah. question, and you ask me another one, yeah, which is like a little bit almost like condescending. Like, hey, you don't know. Hey, I'm going to pant you in front of all your peers and all your friends and talk about layups. You're asking about three pointers. Stupid. What about layups? What about bunnies? See, that's the thing. He wasn't as sort of direct and as condescending as that. But it was the and and coaches do this all the time. Boy, how come nobody ever brings up this? Is because they're they're trying to drive you off the exit ramp of trying to drive you away from something that has either been inconsistent or a problem. Do me and, just kind of sit up and just like have a little like, respect for the okay. every day you come and ask me questions and you just kind of like just because you're close to the basket doesn't mean it's easier to score. Okay, and there's a thank big, you, Nick. Right, excellent job. But there is a big difference to that where you're looking at the people that are asking the question. And you're and you're basically saying you're not presenting yourself in a way that is worthy of this forum. Whereas Joe Mazzulla did the nah, let me throw something distraction out there. Like Matt Patricia, it was the whole being defensive because everybody was piling on him. In reality, we're not gonna become comfortable with Joe Mazzulla's press conferences until we see what happens this postseason. Because if he goes to an NBA finals, people aren't gonna care. 
If they lose to Milwaukee, say, in the second round, people will then start to nitpick it a little bit. Yeah, and so, how do you Because think- I think most are like you in the, boy, I want to like this guy category, but he says some things that made me go, wait a minute. Maybe I, I, I need I do, to see more. I, I don't. I, I'm just not sure about his personality yet. That is just, and it does it really matter what? No, but... When you have to deal with this guy on a regular basis, and you're when we're criticizing the team, and he's really he is really the focal point of all the criticism now. Yeah, the target is squarely on your back. They took off the interim tag. You are now officially the head coach. No excuses. Ownership believes in you. Players listen to you. Okay, so when things don't go right and you don't make the right call, we got to check you on it. Mm-hmm. Like it's sorry. So I. I mean, I just sometimes I think he thinks he's like you know this thirty year you know NBA vet you know who's been all, who's had all these different experiences and you know and he just doesn't have time for nonsense anymore. Like he's he's tired of it. He's Popovich, right? He's just tired of all of the nonsense. He doesn't want to he doesn't want to play the game anymore. To me, he but, should be knee deep in the game. But then again, we're watching on the uh, Twitch chat here, and they're showing Joe Missoula, who's reacting like a player, greeting Jalen Brown as he's there's Robert Williams, right? Like. These guys seem to legitimately respond to Joe Missoula, whether we love everything about him or not. That's why. Oh, see, no, is, but see that. Wait, Gresh, you know the coach in college football that, like, during stretch lines, he goes up and he hugs every single player. That's the strength and conditioning coach. No, no, no. Wait. That is normally yes. that's normally yes. the strength because it's you his know, job. There's there's also those coaches that they want to dap up every single player. But I've seen it during pre during like pregame shows. But it's not normally a head coach in college football that does that. Whereas in the NBA, the level of attention that you have to give. Let's be real now. Baby, petulant, AAU, pampered, kiss my ass superstars. You need that kind of you. You know what? In the NBA now, you do have to balance the. I know this guy's a vested veteran. I can say it to him, and I don't have to worry about it. To the hey, come on, Johnny. Hang on, Al. Hey, a great kid, Johnny. Pat him on the butt. Pat him on the head. All that. It's difficult now. A man. Imagine the difference for Joe Missoula. In managing the emotions of Tatum and Brown to Brogdon and Horford. Same, same, comparable. You got to pat the other two on the bum. You guys are great. Da, da, da. Let me give you your hugs. Uh, you do all great work in the community. Hey, Malcolm, uh, I need uh, 35 minutes tomorrow night because we're not going to play so-and-so. You all right with that? Yeah, coach, I'm good. Sure, boss. You yeah, know you he'll need, be boss. ready. That's right. Al Horford, I know wait, he's going to be ready. Do you really think that the, uh, you know, Tatum's ego needs to be managed still. Oh, oh, yeah. Do we really think it needs to be managed still? I think when it does is. it end? When when does it end? Honestly, how I, many times do you have to tell him he's great? I uh I think once there's an accolade and a championship ring, meaning like an MVP and a title ring, then maybe you can back off it a little bit. But no, I think right now, listen, Jason Tatum's been around forever. He's only 25 years old. I know, he, but he's, he's only but, but, but he's been around forever. Right. So but, and he's been through so much already. I just feel like the that aspect. What I want from my head coach is just a, a unified message that we're that is going to be consistent. And that's I, what I want. And do you think Joe Missoula has been inconsistent though? Because it feels like he is managing the situations day to day, and almost like an. I think what young coaches do is they kind of get trapped 
in giving press conference because it is day to day. And and to your point, it's not as consistent publicly as some fans who are really paying attention would like to hear. But again, he can be, you know, Dink Dinkington when it comes to the media and answering questions. If they're in game seven of the NBA finals, people ain't gonna care that Joe Missoula might give an odd press conference. And I do cut the guy some slack. I mean, come on now. He went from Fairmont State. I used to live near, I, I lived near West Virginia. If you've ever been to Fairmont, mm. it is exactly the way Keith Olbermann describes Bristol, Connecticut. You love it when you see it in your rearview mirror. So he went from Division II Fairmont State, where maybe the paper in Morgantown or Fairmont, West Virginia would have covered him, to now he's given, what, four press conferences a week? Talk about going from the, the, I mean, forget the slow speed lane. He went from riding a bicycle to being in the high speed lane in a Ferrari when it came to public speaking pretty much overnight. Yeah, and I will, um, so um, J.B. Biggerstaff, um, head coach of the Cleveland Cavaliers, yep. had some comments regarding, somebody asked him about Joe Mazzula, and obviously Biggerstaff has been in, in the league forever, got a job early, was an interim coach. His dad coached in the league. So he's, he's been around the culture so, for a while. So he's been around a while, and he talked about that first year as a head coach. I think he, he was a head coach, I think, when he was 37. Mm-hmm. I'm going to call it 37. If I'm wrong, fine, but I'm going to call it 37. A little bit older than Joe Mazzula. And he was just recounting just how stressful it was, how it's almost unthinkable with the position that he's in. And I almost, and he he was flirting with saying, "There's no way he succeeds." This is my opinion based on what he was saying. Interesting, okay. And I was like, I did think that was interesting because here's a guy that was in it, that dealt with it. He talked about the stress of the job, the stress you put on yourself. I mean, now, now, just imagine if you're in Oklahoma, and then you're in that situation, San Antonio. Okay, that's one thing. Now you're in Boston. I would say the stress. And the expectations, especially Fair. now, are probably so. Maybe you're right. Maybe that's what it is. The maybe 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 I should just cut him some slack and just give him the benefit of the doubt, and then ride it out until his personality is determined. Because I I don't know about it yet. I don't. Right now, I'm like I'm indifferent to it. Sometimes then I like it. Then I'm like, why are you being such a hardo? Just answer the stupid question. You know why he's so uptight all the time? Why why he's so dismissive? This dude's just doing his job. It used to drive me crazy when reporters would ask Bill questions. You know, and they're hardworking guys. You know, they're not, they're just trying to do a job. They're just trying to put uh, you know food on the table for their family. Mm-hmm. And here he is being a jerk. Just being a just being a total jerk. Just answer the question. You know, I'm sorry, I don't have time for you. You're beneath me. That drove me nuts. So when I see coaches. Even though I know it's a lot of freaking games and they don't want to do it, but I'm sorry, that's part of the job. You kind of have to do it. So I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I'm maybe I'm being too. Maybe I'm being the hardo. Uh, maybe I, I there there definitely could be a little bit of that. I, I I just think it's important to add context to the situation that Joe Joe Mazzulla was thrown in. This was not a you know a guy who played in the league for ten years and then was an assistant for five or something like that. You know, we forget that he's young, too. And a texter said, what has Tatum done to make you think he has an unusually big ego? It isn't so much the LeBron-type ego. My comment on Missoula relative to the young guys are more reflective of, how do I want to say this, young America, and especially in the NBA, where these guys are anointed great right away. 
and you're saying to an 18 or a 19 year old kid, here's all this thrown on you. And they're used to having their rear ends kissed. So I do think there is different kinds of coaching that goes on based on the age of the player, because it's just a part of the culture and how they've been brought up. Keith in the South end on Joe Missoula. Hi, Keith. Keith in the South end, South, the southernmost end of the state. <laughs> What's up, Keith? Yeah. Hey, so I was listening to you guys go back and forth, and I just put myself in the coach's position. He was thrown into this, and he probably was just good at being an assistant, but now you're thrown into the front seat. You're like, you're like a baby thrown into the water. You're just trying to swim. And Boston media ain't, you know, <laughs> you guys slam them. You know, if I, I don't know if we slam them, South End. Yeah, I don't that, know if you know, that's what we first, do. Yeah, first year, your, your team was at the front of the pack in the beginning of the year. You know, no one was saying nothing. But then when they start to dip, now the heat starts to get turned up. And it's still, he's like still a rookie. Well, Keith, I'd say this: whether they went uh, 70, uh, 72 and ten, or whether they went, you know, fifty-five and thirty-seven, whatever it is, it's all going to come down to what happens in the postseason. Because Keith, the one thing you said that is right is there are expectations here. Yes, there are expectations from the fans on the coach. It might be a little unfair, but there are expectations on this team, and that's why, to me, Joe Mazzulla. Joe's going to be Joe. Like, I think we've learned through, what, 60-some-odd games, he's going to answer the questions the way he wants to. He's going to do it his way, and I'm sure there will be moments of reflection in terms of him as a head coach and how he can get better. But the record almost doesn't matter. doesn't matter whether they're the number one or the number two seed. Aren't we all sitting here thinking, minimum, it's an Eastern Conference final? Minimum. At one the, seed, at, at two the least, seed, yeah. win 51 games, win 65. Hell, I don't care. Doesn't matter what the final number is. It's really that end result. And I do think people want to like Joe Missoula, but they're conflicted for many different reasons. And a part of it is you just got great players. You know, that'd be a lot. in the NBA, you normally shift the narrative to the great players, do you not? Much more than the coach, unless the coach is better than the players and then. Well, you probably got a problem as an organization. Anyway. Well, here's what I'll say: like, as we it was we we tail towards the end of this uh, this segment, they've talked about being disconnected. They've talked about getting back in back in the flow of things. They've talked about so many different things over the last seven days. Now they have this long six game road trip. By the time by the time they come back, there can't be any question marks. Like I'll give you, everybody wants a bump in the road. It has you have a bump in the road. Everybody has one. You have a big giant pothole. Okay, now you're digging yourself out of it. You had an easy win last night against a team that basically said, "Screw it, we're not even going to start. We're even trying the fourth quarter. Come back undefeated." I think they'll come back undefeated. Personally, I do. I'm actually put some money on it tomorrow. Oh! The first day of officially being able to gamble, I am putting money on them coming back, winning every single game. Oh, here we go. Yeah, here. Call oh, me the, the the gambling guy, mm. the, the the Gigi. Call me Gigi. We uh, <laughs> we call you the guy that uh, hurt the parlay last night, but that's okay. Oh, we'll get to that see, a little bit later fair. on. Oh, it isn't. That's not, what about the days when you when you uh, screwed the parlay? Wait, tell me when that's happened. I'm, I'm a lot. Have um, you won every? Have you won every single time? I am uh, twenty six seven. 
seventeen and one. Inflated you know what, numbers. You know inflated what that is? Numbers. It's called profitable. Those are inflated numbers. I see you at eleven <laughs> fifteen and one, and that was with help. Yeah, not really. Yeah. Well, guess what? You might have something new to bet on because one entertainment company that is sport-like wants you to be able to bet on their main events. <laughs> Four A's head might explode on oh, this yeah. one next. Too late. WEEI, WEEI, New England Sports Original. A-U-D-A-C-Y. Type that into your app search, then download. Gresh and Fourier on W-E-E-I. The WWE apparently is in talks with state gambling regulators to legalize betting on scripted matches. That's how a report started yesterday on CNBC. Of course, tomorrow at 10 a.m., Six digital sports books go live here in the uh, great Commonwealth of Massachusetts. But one thing that did not make the betting list, Foyer, is being able to bet on, you know, uh, Cody Rhodes against Roman Reigns in the main event of the upcoming WrestleMania, where, by the way, you have been able to wager on WWE in Europe and on offshore books. It's no sense. However... WWE sees all the gambling money that's out there, and they are now trying to formulate a plan to get the states of Colorado and Michigan to put WWE uh, content or bets uh, on the board for the sports books that would like to in that state. So this is a dude from CNBC. So, again, this is like the... Uh, this is the the financial world that this story is in. Here's what the guy who was uh, reporting on it said. Here's the plan. This is um, an unusual story, no doubt. WWE wants to uh, convince state regulators to legalize gambling on scripted matches. I'm reporting that they've been working with EY, commonly known as Ernst & Young, uh, in a similar fashion to how the Academy Awards uh, has allowed certain states to legalize gambling. So again, this is an example of a situation where the results are known. It's not scripted per se, but these are known results under lock and key. And that is the template that I'm told WWE wants to use in its pitch to regulators to allow gambling. In other words, even though the event is scripted, if they can convince regulators that these results will not leak, then really it's no different from the Academy Awards and people would be able to gamble on matches from the day of their announcement until really theoretically hours before uh, the, the match happens. Interesting. Okay. Um, when you when you when you say it that way, oh! you kind of, well, no, no, no. When you say it that way, go, Wah. okay, so, okay, one, uh, it's scripted, but a, a winner has already been determined. It's uh, somehow, it's almost like, uh, it's almost like, uh, you know, some of these other, uh, they mentioned the, the Oscars. They have this with the Oscars. People oh, yeah, already yep. voted for Oscars, Emmys, yep, all that stuff. And I know that the state of Massachusetts and the uh, MGC went through a massive list of things that you can and can't bet on. And uh, really betting on the sort of the entertainment world is because you have that whole Ernst & Young is that they know the results and they keep it sealed under lock and key. The problem is with WWE is that there are normally a ton of leaks, number one. Number two 
you would probably have to compensate the, the the performers a little bit in the big matches, even a little more than they are, because it's the whole, all right, everybody's got to shut up on this. But, you know, it's, it's cash grab. It's really no different than anybody else. I would this say. This is really so the WWE can be able to say, we partnered with DraftKings or FanDuel mm. or whatever, and they're the ones that are going to put, again, there are a lot of offshore books that you really shouldn't be betting with now that it's starting to get legal here in America who do take these kinds of wages. I would say so now that you've, now that you've uh, opened up a Pandora's box and you have already have a scripted uh, program with a determined winner that everyone's they're going to promise no one's going to know about it, but you can still bet on it, and that's fine. Yep. So I would say what's stopping them from uh, doing the same thing with a Survivor? The same thing with doing the with the um, the Bachelor. Uh, who's going to win? Who's going to get the final rose? Yeah, once what you about get down the, to the what about the Amazing Race? You should be able to do that too. Hell, I do it in my house well, every year. So the, I mean, the why prob- not? The problem is, is that there is no sort of Ernst and Young to closely guard and hold the results. Yeah, I love Survivor. I have not started watching the new season yet. Episode two of the new season dropped last night. I haven't seen it yet. And normally you start to think in your head, oh, this person can win, this person can win, da 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 But if I want to go to Survivor spoilers online, I can find them. Now, there are things in wrestling called dirt sheets where they supposedly give you the info. But if WWE is getting a check from this, make no mistake about it. They will close ranks and figure out how to make sure Intel doesn't get out because that's really the long game here. WWE sees how Major League Baseball and the NFL and how everybody has benefited from gambling, so why not them? And because they're entertainment, they might be able to say, yeah, we'd like an integrity fee like the NFL tried to do at the beginning. They were like, get the hell out of here. I like the integrity fee. It is is interesting, though, because, I mean, hell, I would love to bet on the prices right in real time, like the showcase showdown. I would oh, like to man. bet on that. I got two people up there. I'm going to find out what this art. I know the producers already know, but I'm flipping around my TV. Hell, you know, I want to make a quick 20 bucks. I feel like, uh, you know, and you tell me how it goes, because based on all my little wrestling documentaries that I've seen over Ooh, the years. Ooh, I like this. Is this how it goes? Okay, it's scripted. We know, but we're general. We have a general idea of how it's going to work. I'm going to do this. I'm going to lose. I'm going to come back. You're going to jump. Okay, fine. But in the end, you're going to win. So when before the show starts, before the match starts, does somebody say, "Hey, listen, hey, aggression, you're winning"? Oh yeah. Here's what. Oh, it, so you don't know no, to the so very end. Now here's what it is: when those guys go to the ring, they know basically yes. Who's going to win? Who's going to lose? Or as they say in wrestling, who goes up, who goes down? The referee would be clued in. Sometimes the announcers would be, but now they're getting back to wanting a raw organic reaction. And I think you can only do it. You can't do it with like a whole card at WrestleMania, but you could do it for like a main event. I'm going to go with this is never going to happen. You know why? Can why? I Can I add this? The optics and the perception of it, of the the general um, idea that it's rigged, and I know wrestling people probably don't want to hear that, but there's a big uh, portion of the population that that even this is probably even more, um, you know, disrespectful. Fake. They will put out the fake card. There'll be some senator, some person who's never watched it and doesn't understand it, and will they'll say, get it's fake, and they'll get stopped. Right. Oh, and what about the people and their money? Like you're taking their money from them, and this is all rigged. No. It's a trap. If people want to choose to bet, they can, just like on the uh, cover of the uh, Boston Herald today. And I know we got to get the Razor coming up, but 
on the uh, cover of the Herald today. There is a March Madness with the uh, there it is up on Twitch. Mobile betting could top two hundred million addiction specialist fret. Oh my god. If you have ah. if you have a gambling problem, you already have a gambling problem. And by the way, the only people that let you bet on credit are bookies. So if you don't have the actual cash to put it in these accounts, then you're not going to be able to bet with them. It's no on Amazon I can have somebody sitting on their couch spending $1,000 a day on a credit card because they're addicted of ordering a bunch of crap off Amazon. That's on credit. That's how you end up getting in trouble. With these sites, you're actually putting cash in. If you don't have the cash, you can't bet. So what are we going to do? Are we going to shut down Amazon? Are we going to shut down the shopping sites? Are we going to shut down everything else online that you can apparently get addicted to? Or... Can we have a little clarity on the situation and not lose our freaking minds because, oh, my God, gambling could be coming to my backyard. Well, guess what? There's been three effing casinos in the state, one in Rhode Island and two in Connecticut that are pretty easy to get to. So shut up, freaking idiots. Razors. Razors next.